following contains mature content. Auto characters may be based on real people. This is an unbridled, ridiculous work of fiction. From the A, I'm Mr. Jackal, and this is American Ball Tales. A haze of dust in front of the SUV paints a portrait of Ray Young looking for something he thought he would never need again, something he wanted to forget, something he didn't want anybody to find. The light beams onto his body, covered in sweat and dirt, with a silhouette shadowing behind him, resembling a painting of a forgotten American tall tale. Ray Young, a former basketball player, appears to have been digging all night. Then he hits a sound. Drops to his knees and starts digging with his hands fiercely. He uncovers a locked chest, runs to his car, grabs the keys. He stumbles, <laughs> falls into his own dig site. He frantically looks all over the ground for his keys. Panicking, this is life and death for him. He's came this far. This can't be the thing that undoes all he and his son, Trey, has worked for. He spots the keys, grabs it, fumbles around looking for the right key. He finds it and locks the chest. His eyes gaze into the downward spiral, into the object that started all this. The object that will forever change his and his family's life. September, 1920, Oklahoma City, the Overhoser Mansion. Mmm, amazing. What are these delights called again, Anna? They're called Saratoga Chips. Have as much as your heart desires. Anna Overhoser loves hosting these parties. They make her Norman's foremost socialite. Newspapers write about her elegant Paris gowns, party guesses, lavish and foreign furnishings, and inventive food dishes. Note, when Anna had her first opening party for an imagine, she introduced the first local serving of Saratoga chips, other known as potato chips. A guest wanders over and then taps Anna on her shoulders. Anna, there's a man you must meet. He traveled very far to be here and said he was a very good friend of your late husband. Anna pauses in her tracks and slowly turns around. She greets the man and notices his green coat and his wrinkleless hands. Hands that appear soft as a baby, but are as rough as sandpaper. Odd, she thought to herself. Mrs. Overhauser, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. My name is Leland Gaunt. I was a friend of your late husband, Henry, when he lived in Colorado. Unfortunately, I never had the chance to pay my respects until now. So please, excuse me. Anna pauses. Henry died close to five years ago. He's considered the father of Oklahoma City after making a fortune earlier in his life. He packed a boxcar after boxcar of building material and pioneered his way into laying the foundation of Thunder City. It's understandable, Mr. Gaunt. How did you and Henry come to acquaintance? I've had the pleasure of meeting Henry traveling on train from Indiana to Colorado. We spoke of many conversations, but our bonding conversation was about our personal wages and our trophies. 
It didn't revolve around foolish things such as money. It focused on the hells we went through and the heavens we are attempting to make. However, I'm here to deliver on a wage I made with Henry. What wage was that? Who would fall upon heaven first, my dear? Anna blushes and smiles. I've come paying my debts. A collection from my travels that Henry once gained from me, but that I triumphed back. A gift that bears all wonders, but is delicate with size and commitment. Leland snaps his fingers, and two men in all black carry a vase into the doorway of the front door. The party slowly pauses. They gaze at the exotic object covered in elegant floral designs. Designs that pulsate, an unseen glowing aura. An aura that forces Ada to walk over and be hypnotized. The designs contain floral that shifts into animals. Patterns of goat horns, alligators, teeth, and a design that looks like a rat hole swirling of feathers. Mr. Gott, it's... it's... marvelous, isn't it? <sighs> Henry had this in his possession? Indeed, he treasured it as I did. Legend has it, it was made by a man who couldn't afford to craft it at first. He made a deal with an entity that offered to help, but only if he bared the suffering of a disease that it took its whiskers from. The man, with little to lose, shook on a deal contracting the condition that the early world has set upon him. From there, the entity helped the man craft the elegant designs you see here. Anna, spellbound by the vase, takes her ball gloves off and touches the vase. The room stops. The temperature drops. Anna can see her breath and doesn't notice. The floral designs start slithering out of the vase like snakes. They slither onto her dress and then onto her hair, twisting and conforming onto her strings, whispering spells in her ears. Here's a strange voice behind her. What the world marriage with you? What the world marriage with you? What the world marriage with you? April 2011, Norman, Oklahoma, Irving Middle School. Trey Young sits in the car with his dad, deep in thought, looking out the window. He's quiet. Too quiet. Usually after school, he puts on Jodeci and starts to tune out. Dad, I get what you mean now. Ray gives Trey a confused glance. The triple threat stuff you always talk about. I think I really understand why it's important now. What do you mean? Every great player knows how to shoot, dribble, and pass. Yeah, I understand the why now. I felt like I saw the Matrix today. Ray is now curious. He's been trying to help his son understand why the new practice drills are important. But motivating a teenager has its limits. <laughs> so you're telling me Somebody, somehow, 
got through that big head of yours. You know her, Miss Porter. The math teacher? Yeah. Have you ever heard of the fox, rabbit, and cabbage puzzle? Ray, keeping his eyes on the road, shakes his head. So here's the puzzle. A farmer has to cross the river with a fox, rabbit, and cabbage. But his boat is very small. He can only cross the river with one item at a time. If he leaves one of them alone, the fox would eat the rabbit, or the rabbit would eat the cabbage. So how does he cross the river without anything bad happening? Trey looks at his dad, hoping to teach him something at least once. And to his delight, his dad shrugs. Well, you know, Dad, I'm not the best at math, so Miss Porter asked me to compare it to basketball. Ray listens more intently. I just thought about the pick and roll situation. How I would read it, how I would move through it, how I would feel about it, what mistakes I could find, what options I would have. That's when I figured out the answer to the problem. Ray, now curious, gestures his son to tell him the answer. You take the rabbit first, then you come back and get the fox. Once you drop off the fox, you take the rabbit back with you so the fox doesn't eat him. Then you take the cabbage, and at the end, you go back and get the rabbit. I told Miss Porter that, and she smiled and said I was going to be all right. Ray nods in agreement. He thinks to himself, Trey may have the smarts for the game after all. But this one really got me thinking. Miss Porter said this one has no correct answer, because whatever answer you give is right and wrong. It really confused the whole class. So, Dad, so a barber is one who can only cut people's hair who can't cut it themselves. So the question is, does a barber cut his own hair? Because if he does, he's no longer a barber. Not knowing what to say, Ray gives his son an unsure look. Mm. What about his friends? What if they cut his hair? You run into the same thing. He's no longer a barber because a barber cuts hair for people who can't cut it themselves. But if he doesn't cut it himself, then he falls into the same group of people who can't cut their own hair, not making him a barber. That's why there's no correct answer. This is when I really had to compare it to basketball. The defense leads to offense thing you always talk about. I think the same could be said about offense leading to defense. Both of them shook, assesses what just happened. The front window looks as if a giant bullet went through it. Specks of feather move aimlessly inside the car. Trey, you, you all right? Yeah, what just happened? Trey turns around and looks at the back seat. He frantically unbuckles his seatbelt and runs out of the car. Ray looks back. And is speechless. There, laying in the backseat of their car, Ray finds a bird, surprisingly, still alive. It gathers itself as if it's fixing itself. It barely stands up, shakes itself off, and it slowly starts to move its wings, assessing itself. And to raise amazement, it flutters its wings and flies out the window, back outside towards the house right in front of them. The overhose are imagined to be exact. Molly! Molly! It's quiet here. Can you put on some tunes? 
June 2018, Atlanta, the Full Clip Barbershop. Excited about his upcoming debut in Utah, Trey settles in a barber chair with a silk cape wrapped around his neck, shooting the shit with his barber, Slim. He slowly watches the clippers as it's about to take an inch off his hair. Stop! Can't do it. Can't do it. Pops is going to flip out. Slim gives him a twisted look. A new school is your hair. I'm just here to be your guiding style pastor with the blade blaster. However, I do agree with your pops. He does have a point with the spooks. What you mean? He's always had it since I was in middle school. I really don't get it. It's just superstition. All right, new school. Let me deliver you a hair sermon right here. So back in the day when everything wasn't on display, Uncle Sam recruited Native Americans as scouts. They were crewmen that were superhuman. These dudes were cold in finding routes. Stealth mode tracking ninjas in the jungle type of shit that would give your mama the splits. However, something happened. Once Uncle Sam tried to put these dudes on, they couldn't do it anymore for the dudes in Saigon. Well, what happened? Once Uncle Sam cut their hair, they lost all their abilities and became squares. Tragic end to their sixth sensibility. And that's what I meant when I said your pops was right. Everybody has their superstition that makes them sit tight. You see, hair has powers. It's what makes us magicians. Well, what about bald dudes? They get their shine too, no pun intended. But if you can afford it, you get it. Remember when LeBron was in Miami balding? Then he went to Cleveland and poof! You had new hair like a new roof? Mm -hmm. Trey looks at the mirror and sees customers behind him nodding their heads. You see new school. Even fake hair has powers. Why are you trying to cut my hair then? Because you're going to be balling, new school. You're going to be on TV, YouTube, and the gram. That's why you can't be looking like a lamb. Hold up, hold up. Real quick, I got a question I want to spit. Have you thought about your Kodak song? What you mean? Like the songs you listened to before the game? Nah, I'm going to have to show you because it may help you think brand new. Bobby, can you pause it real quick? Play my jam, Bobby. The lights dim down and Slim steps away from Trey's chair. All the barbers and customers stop what they're doing and give Slim their full attention. He brushes the hair off his shoulders and cups his hands together. He swaggers to the middle of the shop gracefully swaying side to side and allows the music to overtake him. He moves as if he's performed his opus several times. He stretches his arms out, loosens his lips, sings. He struts, gliding his shoes as if he's walking on water and floating at the same time. Trey beams as his eyes widen as he's processing what Slim is showing him. Something tells Trey that he may have picked this up as past life. Take it to church, Slim. That's what I mean by a Kodak song, new school. Kick back that gets you feeling good with no wrong. So when everybody takes a picture of you, you hit them with the voodoo. Ah day, a day. However, new school, any ugly ass hair will make any Kodak song whack. 
So here's the question. Are we going to make the same impression, playing with the same old rules, or are we going to say bye and look sky fly? Everybody in the shop turns their attention to Trey, waiting for his answer. All right, let's take an inch off then. My man. July 2018, Salt Lake City, Smart Home Arena. Seated seven rows from the court, Ray and his wife Candace are at Trey's first professional game, hours early. Candace hands Ray a small box. I brought your pills just in case you need them. Ray tries to brush her off. Really? It won't get that bad. Well, honey, you never know. You had to use them last week before your big meeting. That's different. If that sales didn't go through, I think we'd be worrying about something completely different right now. Plus, I can't imagine watching Trey's first NBA game and having a run. That will be unfortunate. Well, <laughs> it would be funny like Trey getting drafted by the Hawks. You know how much Trey fears birds. She tucks the pills in his pocket. Oh, here they come. Both of their faces light up. They feel a sense of pride and nervousness as they watch their son walk onto the court. Then Ray notices it. That boy cut his hair. Ray reaches over and grips Candace's hand. She pans over to him and sees his face turning pale white, replacing the proud smile. Honey, what are you talking about? It looks great. Sweetie, you don't understand. Trey cut his hair. Honey, let it go. It's gonna be okay. No, I don't think you get it. Trey can't play this game today. It won't end well for him. He has no idea how bad this is gonna be. Honey, honey, relax. He's gonna be fine. Ray can't take his eyes off Trey's hair. It's one thing to edge up his sideburns, but his hair looks like it's about an inch and a half shorter. That's enough for things to go wrong. Enough to lose everything they work for. Enough for Ray to do something about it. A sense of nihilism hits him as he watches Trey, the team, and the trainers. Then, Ray has an idea. He runs down the steps towards the court. This can't be happening. This can't be happening. This can't be happening. Ray flashes his laminate badge to the usher and makes his way towards the bench. He carefully looks around and sees what he's looking for. Trey's name written on tape on a water bottle. He checks around to make sure that nobody sees him. He grabs it. He quickly twists it off the top. He reaches in his pocket and drops the pills in Trey's water. Ray sits back down in his seat and says nothing to Candace. He's motionless. Love and rage could be felt in equal measure. All he intended was to create heaven, but instead, hell is what he's going through. Three hours later, 
moments before tip-off. Ray slouched in the seat with his hands covering his face. Ray feels more nauseous than ever. The pill should have kicked in earlier. He should be sitting out the game right now. The clock starts to count down. The ref gets the ball ready. Both centers get in their stance as if they're two fencers about to duel. The ref throws the ball in the air. The game begins. Ray knows whatever bad happens next will be his fault. They win the jump ball and Trey dribbles it up the court. He appears very uncomfortable. It's not the nervousness. There's no butterflies in his stomach. It's more like a tarantula digging into his guts. He passes the ball, then he grabs his stomach. Ray didn't mean to do this. He didn't mean to ruin his son's first NBA game. He just wanted Trey to sit out until he could fix it. Trey can barely run now. His teammate passes him the ball. He calls for a screen. Dribbles to the right. Sets his feet. Trey lets it fly. April, 1925, Oklahoma City, the Overhoser Mansion. Henry Ion Overhoser perks up. It's a cake smell, but she doesn't recognize what kind. Her nose gets the best of her. The smell of a fresh baked cake was too hard to resist, and it forces her to the kitchen. She sees her mom, Anna, Still in her nightgown, standing in front of the open window. Mother. Anna slowly turns her head with delight, smiling, with a hesitant look in her eyes. Her long flowing hair moves with the wind, the ends grazing the backs of her legs as she tends to a cake. Henry can count on one hand the number of times she's seen her mom's hair unfurled. Annie. Henry wonders why her parents didn't just name her that instead of Henry Ion. Henry was her father's name as well as her late brother, Henry Samuel. She sees the name as an omen as Henry Samuel died eight months after he was born. She doesn't know much about her dad. She only knew the stories that her mom shared at parties and functions. Oni, what's your favorite fairy tale? You know it's Cinderella. You read it to me hundreds of times. Why do you ask? Did I ever tell you the one called Bearskin? Perhaps. I can't recall. The story of a soldier that makes a deal with the devil and offers him infinite wealth if only he would not cut his hair, clip his nails, or bathe, or wear anything else other than the bearskin that was provided for him for seven years. Oh, I remember the ending of that one. The bearskin man became rich and handsome after a seven-year bet was over. He ends up marrying one of the daughters of the old man he helps. Correct? Anna nods and cuts the cake. Well, yes. That's the bedtime version. What I left out was more grim. You see, the other daughters were mean to the bearskin man. And once they realized the rich and handsome man was the same bearskin man, they killed themselves. Inurion looks at her mom in disbelief. Afterwards, the devil came to the bearskin man's home, knocked on his door, 
and told him that he's gotten two souls for the price of one. Her mom cuts a slice of cake and hands it to her. This is a new recipe. It's called Devil's Cake. I hope you like it. No bug sounds. No wind. No signs of life. Complete silence as Ray Young stares at the vase. It's in pristine condition, just as he left it. Careful not to touch it, Ray surveys the details. The designs have completely changed. He doesn't remember anything that he sees now. Patterns of human arms, legs, and hair spiraling in a vortex. Human faces and mouth that could either be tormented screams or delirious laughter. It's pure chaos of demonic art. Ray's eyes continue to scan until he sees it. A face with a sharp jaw and straggly facial hair. It's Ray. At that moment, nothing else matters. He now realizes what he needs to do. He slowly gets up, no longer frozen, no longer scared. Ray snatches the face. The designs come to life right before his eyes. Tentacles sprout out and slur around the vase onto Ray's hand. They move up towards his hair and anchor themselves into his roots. He closes his eyes and remembers why he buried this in the first place. A shape-shifting being emerges, towering over him. He hears a long-forgotten voice behind him. It's a face in constant motion, expanding and definitely within itself. Its body, vast and made of fibers and hair, gyrates in an organic sphere. Almost frozen and completely terrified, he walks towards the shape-shifting being. I know what I'd given up. I know what we agreed to. I'm here to let you collect a wage. Early. Right now. You can take my wish away from my son, but leave him alone. It's my wage, and our bet, not his. It ends with me, you collect, and Trey grows old. The shape-shifting beam starts to shimmer. It circles around the entire area. It starts to multiply itself. One becomes two, two becomes four, three becomes six, transforming itself into a mosaic matter of energy. Ray detects something. Something about the waves expanding itself. A paradox of some sort. Wait! The expansion pauses. Let's double or nothing. You like placing bets. Let's make another one. It's easy. All you have to do is answer a question. A simple question. If you can't answer it, I keep everything. If you do answer it, I'll let you decide. Decide whatever you want. Deal or no deal. The shape-shifting being retracts itself into a sexless human-like figure. No face, no skin. 
just a figure made of mosses of hair. It descends upon the ground in front of Ray. It finalizes its shape. And reaches out what appears to be a hand. Ray collects himself and hesitantly shakes its hand. You look like one of those perfect all-know-it types. Well, here's the question for you. A barber is a man who shaves all, who can only, and those only, who do not shave themselves. The question is, does the barber shave himself? Ray looks at the shapeshifter. It doesn't move. It doesn't respond. It doesn't make a sound. It's frozen. Processing. Ray then realizes that this may be a mistake. A stupid mistake on a stupid riddle. Fuck. What the hell was I thinking? Then the ground starts to shake. Sweat on Ray's hand and face starts to suspend in the air and reverse itself, like raindrops falling backwards into the sky. The shape-shifting being collapses back into its massive size and back into its original shape. Everything that Ray has set forth in motion years ago now reverses itself. July 2018, Las Vegas, Thomas Maxner. George empties the trash in the whiskey bar. He looks at his watch, 9.55, the game is almost over. He's looking forward to the crowd clearing out, getting all the leftover food and drinks off the ground. It's not the most glamorous job in the world, but at 68, it's better than the idle hands. Some of his friends are retired. Most of them just complain about their doctors, the pills they have to take, and the slow death that's happening to them. The ones still with their back straight are the ones that occupy their time, whether they like it or not. He doesn't like to work this late, but it's part of what he signed up for. The worst are concerts, but since the Vegas Strip is down the street, they don't come here too often. Plus, he doesn't mind basketball. He was a point guard in high school back in the 60s, the era of Rick Barry and Bill Chamberlain. He would sit next to the radio and listen to the games, listen to Bill King, Describe every play with grace and cadence. George pushes his cart to the supply closet and grabs his headphones, a time where he gets to find solitude within his music, in his head, all by himself. He heads towards the stadium and finds a seat against the wall near an older man with a green coat. He sits down and untangles the wires of his headphones. He opens a music app that his grandson downloaded for him, who was also kind enough to make a playlist a playlist of his favorite records. He watches the game and sees a scrawny kid with tape all over his shoulders. The NBA is going to break that kid, he thinks to himself. Then the kid drives, hesitates, and steps back and drives again. Hits the paint, passes in traffic, his teammate playing in the bucket. Not bad, he thinks to himself. Three minutes and 55 seconds. The kid gets the rebound, and before he even crosses the ball up the court, 
passes a Hail Mary across the court to an open man. Another bucket. Two minutes, 59 seconds. The big forward tries to drive. Pump fakes, but the defense caves on him. Passes to the kid, he immediately touch passes to the real man in paint. Another bucket. The kid jumps ecstatically, runs back to defense. George smirks and sees number 11 on the jersey. Young, huh? One minute left. The kid has the rock in his hands again. Everybody has their eyes on him. The defense, the players, the crowd, each ready to unleash some kind of pandemonium. He sizes his defender up. He dribbles between his legs, finds his rhythm, hesitates, drives left, crosses right, steps back, shoots. Nothing but that. Indiana 91, Atlanta 99. Georgia's speechless. Passing, shooting, the audacity. The arena has an air hoopla. George takes off his headphones and lets it soak in a little bit. Hmm. I hear it's going to do some damage. Two thousand eleven, Oklahoma City. The overhoes are matching. The smell of cinnamon, fried dough, and powdered sugar fills the air. Lemons and sugar water can be found in almost every child's hand. This was the evening under the stars camp event, where families can enjoy the outdoor activities, tour the mansion, and spend the night under the stars. Fixings of your favorite campfire foods, hot dogs, marshmallows, and s'mores were all available. For Trey and Ray, this event was the first time they'd been back to the mansion since their accident. This was different, and Trey couldn't wrap his head around it as he walked around the property with his dad. He never thought his dad would want to do something like this. Kids running around, carefree, laughing and giggling. His days mostly consisted of running drills, watching tapes, and constantly getting quizzed about certain plays. Dad, why are we here? Oh. You already want to go home? No. I'm just wondering why you want to be here. Why not? You like hot dogs, don't you? Yeah. S'mores? Yeah. Campfire? Yeah, but this is just weird. There's just birds everywhere, like the ones that smash into our car. Plus, isn't this mansion haunted? Ray looks at him with a grinning stare. Well, that's why we're here, to see if it's really haunted, like the Skirvin Hotel. This place has so many stories. Stories about ghosts, people seeing things, hearing things, making wishes. Plus, there's free food here. Trey gives his dad the usual skeptic smile. They reach the stairs in front of the house. And just as Ray is about to reach the door, you hear something. He looks around, peers through the window next to him. He sees nothing but a vase in an empty room. Dad! You okay? What are you looking at? Ray slowly turns around and looks at him and crunches down. A giant bird. A hawk. Dad, stop. This place is already creepy. Well, do you want to go into the house? See if it's really haunted? Ray and Trey belittle each other with their looks. They open the door, and one by one, they slowly walk into the overhoser mansion. Dad. If you could make a wish, what would you wish for?
American Ball Tales is written and produced by me, Mr. Jackal. If you enjoyed American Ball Tales, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really, 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 really helps us. To learn more about our next episode, please visit our website, AmericanBallTales.com, and subscribe to our newsletter for more details. Much appreciated. Thank you.